Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. This episode is sponsored by Curve Dental Software. At the American Association of Dental Office Management's annual conference, I've had the pleasure of hosting two different panel discussions on behalf of Curve Dental, and they were titled, Managers, What Would You Do? I had put together a group of managers and or consultants, and they were able to answer a bunch of questions that I had for them, but also audience questions. The sessions were a hit, and next year is already being put into place. And by next year, I mean this year, 2023. I have worked with Curve for a while, and when they mentioned sponsoring the podcast, I thought, sure, why not? Let's give this a shot. I do appreciate their love of office managers and the value that we bring to the table. So check out the show notes for a link to curvedental.com slash Duncan to check out the software with a few incentives tossed in. Full disclosure, they are sponsoring the podcast episodes, but I will not receive any kickbacks for your demos or your signups. I just want to bring you information in case you are looking for a change. And Curve Dental has just been a really good thing for a lot of people that I've talked to. So I will pop back in later with more information. For now, on to the show. And we are back with another episode of Nobody Told Me That. And today I'm back with a panel sponsored by Fantastic Curve, who loves office managers. And you guys heard that in the last panel discussion. But this one's going to be different. We're going to talk about associates, you know, the ups and the downs and the groans and the moans that go along with thinking of bringing on an associate or growing. I've got three fantastic ADOM managers, three friends who are with me. And what I'm going to do is let them introduce themselves and tell them how fantastic they are. And then we're going to get into the nitty gritty. So let's go with Stacy, since you're at the top of my screen. Let's go with you first. <laughs> Hello, thank you for having me, Teresa. It's an honor. My name is Stacy Singleton. I'm a CDA, FDA, and practice administrator in Maine. Um, I have two practices, a pediatric office as well as a general practice, and I'm the Maine um, ADOL president. We have one chapter for the whole state. Um, we have members from all over, <laughs> an adjunct professor at our local community college as well, teaching all the dental programs. Barb, you want to go next? Sure, I'd love to. Thank you also, Teresa, for having me on here. I'm very excited to be a part of this and to be invited. My husband and I have seven dental practices. Um, we actually have a dental lab now and a management company also on top of those to help with our private practices. We have not incorporated with a DSO at all, and we've been learning how to run these places on our own by trial and error. And I'm a dental hygienist also, so I started doing that back in 2006, five, 2005, I think. <laughs> and so I did that for a very long time until 2015 when I started managing uh, my husband's office. Linda? So I'm Linda Davenport. I was invited because I have a Southern accent. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, so <laughs> I'll be easy to identify on the podcast. But I have been in the dental world for 22 years. I work for Endodontist, so we're dental specialists in Nashville. There are eight partners and three locations. So I'm RDA and FADOM have been involved with starting two chapters here in the Nashville area for ADOM. So excited to be here. Thank you, Teresa. Absolutely. Yeah. See, I don't I don't just have ADOM friends. I have like superstar ADOM <laughs> friends. Like you guys are way accomplished. So I think all of you are FADOMs, I think. Barb, you were up. Yeah. You're too busy, Barb. Like if you <laughs> <laughs> if anybody said they're not a FADOM, I would totally understand if it was you. Because you're, <laughs> I've hired so it, but I have not done it yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just add it to the plate. <laughs> and for those of you that are not familiar with ADOM, uh, it's a fellowship, which is a designation in ADOM. It's pretty rigorous to get. Then you have uh, levels above that. You have master, and then you have um, diplomate. Is it diplomate or diplomat? I can never figure it out because it's all different. 
Uh, so you can always go through that. And it's a pretty nice sense of achievement once you get it. Other than that, now we're talking about ADOM. We're not talking about hiring. Let's talk about hiring. We have a, a couple of questions. I have a couple of questions that I'd like to ask you, but I wanted to start off by putting a bug in your your heads that I'm going to ask this later, which is if you have a terrible associate story, like the worst thing that could have possibly happened, you can give them a different name. And I'd love to hear about them. Not because of the gossipy side. That's all fun, too. But just because I think we can learn from the mistakes that we make. And I know hiring associates, we we didn't pay attention to some of the red flags that we probably should have trusted my doctor and I because, you know, we're smart. We know people. But for some reason, we wanted it to happen so badly that we kind of just said, oh, maybe it's a pink flag. You know what I mean? So are there any are there any that come to mind for you all? Red flags, pink flags, black flags like what do you guys have any that come to mind thinking about the funny feeling that you got during the process for me the first thing would be the overconfidence that some of the associates have for us uh, we have a local dental school so a lot of the associates coming out of the dental school have not had any experience at all so they come in with really no idea on the business of dentistry and they're really seeking out information from you during the interview process, yet their clinical skills aren't up to par yet either because they don't have the experience. And if they're a little overconfident, I think that's a big red flag for me <laughs> because the experience isn't there yet for the confidence. So um, that's kind of where I put on the brakes a little. Has that happened where it's they've promised the moon and not delivered anything? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think the intention is there and the eagerness is there coming out of school, yet the experience isn't there to back up what their intentions are. Okay. Linda? So for us in particular, you know, it's definitely a red flag if they don't have a group mentality because it's different owning your own practice versus trying to blend into a practice that's been here and operating for almost 60 years. Now, we can learn a lot from the associates and things that, you know, that are different in the marketplace now, but at the same time, they have to say, you know, when they come in and talk about, we did this in dental school, we had this equipment, we handled scheduling this way. It's really uh, a red flag when they constantly are saying, but I used a nomad in school, so that doesn't work for me with the DEXs or, you know, this isn't us setting up their practice. This is them blending with us and then us growing together. Maybe we make those changes, but not, certainly not in the interview process, but we've had a lot, a lot of cowboys kind of like Varv is saying that, you know, I'm going to come in and teach these old guys something. Well, these old guys are making a pretty good living already. Barb, what do you, what do you get to say? I have two things. One is, <laughs> Confidence in the sense of arrogance. If I sniff arrogance of any kind, we do not hire those associates. Dentists need to understand that they are not above the team. And we stress strongly in our interview processes that that dentist will work and take criticism, constructive criticism from their um, assistants. Because when you have a team of when an assistant can tell the dentist what they could do to be better, that dynamic now has become so efficient and fantastic that that team will run really smooth and your office will be more productive. Um, the second thing is wishy-washiness. So we've had a couple of associates where in the beginning, it's just like what you said, Teresa, where we really want it to work. They're super nice, but man, they were really wishy-washy. Like, well, I want to work these hours. And then they come back and they're like, well, I guess I only want to work these hours. Or they say, I want to get paid, you know, like an owner, but I only want to work 20 hours a week. And if we like the person, we really want to give them the chance and just like you said, it was like a pink flag. I like that term, pink flag. <laughs> but both times that that happened to us, it turned into a big thing. And that person did not do well mentally what we were needing from them. It's, yeah, that to me, that's a big one is wishy-washiness. Is They went to dental school. They should know what they want in life and be a little bit more confident in that sense. And if they don't know what they want in life, they're probably not going to fit well with our practices. Is it because they haven't been taught like the business mechanics of what goes on in an office or is it because their personality? Like if you just run into somebody that's just so woefully unaware, I mean, this is for all of you, unaware of how the office actually works, that they're asking to be paid like an owner when it's so unrealistic. Like, is it because they don't know they haven't been taught or is it just are you saying that's a personality function? For the two that we had, it was personality um, because it was even 
like as time went on, just within, say, the first year that we had this particular person, he wanted to be a dentist, but then he wanted to also do volunteer firework at one point in time. But then he also wanted to volunteer services for here and volunteer services for there. But then he changed his mind. And then, you know, he wanted to work 37 hours, but then he'd come back and be like, oh, I really just think I can only handle 30 hours. And so it's almost like the personality, you know, not to pick on, you know, younger generations, but I feel like the work load or the work strain that comes, I think, with being a dentist, I don't know if they they might be book smart, but they maybe emotionally aren't ready to handle the load that comes from being a dentist or in the dental industry. So um, they just, it's like they weren't mentally ready as, as a dental professional. Oh, interesting. Linda, you had, you wanted to make a point. Yeah, I think what we're calling pink flags are, you're right, they grow because that is what is important to them in the interview. And I think we've ignored that at times as well, because when we're starting to talk about philosophy, you know, how do you stand behind your work? What about patient care, uh, workload sharing and that type thing? And they keep bringing us back to collections and compensation. You know, I mean, you want to hire a top gun. That That is a hard mix. But you're right. What comes up initially for them in that initial interview, a lot of times we've gone, oh, they're just nervous or we just don't know them. You're right. They're telling us what they're really focused on. Yeah. And to circle back on that, I think it was Barb, what you had said, embracing what the assistant is training. You know, we have we have top-notch assistants that have been with us for many, many years. And bringing in an associate, I turn to the assistant to train the associate and how they embrace that and how they take that information tells a lot about their character and if they're going to grow within the practice because they have a lot to learn from the assistant and how the process within our practice works, you know, and how they're going to integrate day to day. Do you guys pull a lot of associates from local dental schools or are you mostly pretty much a mix of dentists coming from across the country or do you mostly pull from the local schools? Um, For us, we have a local school. Um, Being that we're a specialist, though, our newest associate who just became owner, that was actually word of mouth from someone in the area. But our general dentists typically pull from our local school here. Our doctors, you know, especially with Dr. Proper, having been in here, we know a lot of the chairmen's at all the specialty schools. So a lot of times the chairman will call us, you know, somebody's come to Nashville and been on Broadway and wants to move here kind of thing. We do depend on the schools, but it's from all over the nation for us. Strangely enough, we've had a mixture of, even though we've got the U of M, the University of Minnesota Dental School here, we've pulled from... California dental schools. We've pulled from Georgia. We've pulled from, um, we had somebody who we recently hired who's fantastic. She is from the Minnesota area, but she was going to school in Oregon. Um, So we were able to hire her at an office. That's her hometown office. And then we've had somebody who is from Wisconsin, but she was working in Colorado. So we've got a lot of people who like were in Minnesota, left, and now they're coming back. So I'm not quite sure why we're pulling from that pool, but yeah, they must miss the uh, the snow. I guess I don't know. Yeah, so. we just got <laughs> two feet north of us. So <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. <laughs> but it's nothing for you guys. Like the two feet of snow in my area is like we're done. Like, right, Linda, yours <laughs> the same way. Yeah, these two ladies like snow falls, and you're like, oh, is it a blizzard or just a couple feet? Like, yep, yep. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well. I asked um, I asked about the dental schools because there's uh, we're in the middle of, of three dental schools. We're close to three dental schools. And there's one dental school when we see somebody coming out of the dental school, we know we're going to get a prima donna. I mean, it's just that's what they teach them in the schools is go out there, ask for this, ask for that and demand this and demand that. And working with an assistant is like like you, you have to deal with them. Kind of that's the attitude that they come out with, and it's very it hasn't changed. I keep asking, you know, my friends in the area, so what's what's it like from that school? And so I hate to say it, but you know, if I've got two really good candidates in front of me, sometimes there are dental schools that you do not. I'm not. I will go to them last, probably. So, and that's experience. That's that's not necessarily like something that's published or reputation wise, but you start to see that, right? Like you start to see there's different schools that sort of teach that that prima donna-ness uh and it's i think it's a direct relationship to how much they teach business in the schools in in my humble opinion i'm curious though because you've got so stacy you and 
uh, Linda, you you are specialist office. You have a general, Stacey, you have general, and you have pedo, right? And is it ortho too? We do ortho pedo, yep. Okay. And then Linda, you're endo. Uh, do you have any general at all? No, okay. not at all. And then Barb, you, you decided to go multi-specialty pretty early, right? In your building out your offices how many is it still multi multi-specialty in locations or did you branch out completely what do you what do you have going on now um our biggest thing is that we have general practices with but we have one sedation clinic um so we focus on doing iv sedation on all kinds of procedures so so you have different specialists coming into that location no, our general dentists do everything yeah we do okay. also a lot of our cambridge office brackets and everything but it's all general dentists that was probably what you were really early to to doing that. That was really smart on your part to do that. You and Adam. So um, or, I'm sorry, Dr. Curtis. I'm going to be That's professional fine. here. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what when you bring on um, an associate though, and they're coming out of school and say they just came right out, like how do you assess clinically? I mean, this is this is something I'm just pretend I have no idea what I'm talking about. How are you going to assess clinically that they are going to be able to do the skills? I mean, even if they're a specialty like uh, endo or, or orthopedo, like just getting that specialization doesn't mean that they're excellent up to your standards. So how do you how do you assess that? Really, I rely a lot on the externships and I speak with the doctors that they've been doing their externship at. In the interview process, I talk about specific procedures that we do on a daily basis and ask them what materials they use, what they would do next. Um, I think the advantage of having the clinical experience, being able to talk to them through an entire procedure helps a little bit so that I understand where they're coming from. They understand our expectations, right? <laughs> so when it comes down to it, they can they can talk all they want, hold a level to me that I think that, okay, they're going to do great. And then they could sit chair side and it's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> to read people on a certain level gets you a little a little bit of leverage, but it really comes down to the patient care. And that's one of those things that you you hope and pray that, you know, you're making that good judgment call when they come in, that they're giving the level of patient care that you expect, you know. Up one associate on our general practice, talk the talk, walk the walk. The externship, you know, recommendation was phenomenal. I could not let the relationship go on further than what it did because my patients were not getting treated on the level that they're used to from my other associates. Those things you just don't know until they're in there practicing. You know, it unfortunately it takes a few months. It takes that crown prep, the delivery and saying this was not good. That's got to be hard because at least like with hygienists, it comes out pretty quick whether or not they're as aggressive or at more aggressive. That comes out pretty quickly, but you're right. Like doing crown preps and wow, I didn't think of that about that, having to sit there chairside and get, you know, kind of check in with everybody, how they're doing. The stressors are on, that becomes a factor for them, you know, and until you really put them under some stress and it's not, they don't have two and a half hours to complete, you know, a simple and approximate, you know, filling. They don't have that time. And once you get those stressors put on them where there's time allowances and, you know, they have an actual like booked schedule. People are relying on their, you know, hygiene checks. I think all those stressors then finally show the true colors too. Interesting. Okay. You know, we rely on chairman of the department to be honest with our doctors about recommending, but they also ask for some cases to be submitted. Well, of course, you're going to submit your best cases. We do have kind of a hierarchy with a senior doctor and a couple of the doctors kind of shadow, watching x-rays, and listening for patient care. And we try to set up 30, 60, 90, six-month, you know, check-ins. I'm going to tell you, that is something we did overlook on one of our associates. And, you know, when the doctors have to retreat his treatments, obviously that relationship didn't last long. But it is hard to know till you get them in there. You're right. How many strikes do you get for retreats or redoing of a filling? I mean, there's got to be one mulligan that they get, right? Like, what do you, what's your what's your threshold? Yeah, well, I think 15 was the limit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 15, bye. Have a good life. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, that's not good. And 15 patients, four patients. Correct. That's terrible. Correct. Because the and filling, at least, you can kind of, it's just a little inconvenience, but a root canal, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, we made it, we made it as... Um, 
you know, we took care of all the root canals for them. You know, they're, that's the only way to handle wow. the patients, stand behind the work and do it right. And, you know, that's an make expensive it lesson for them. So that's an expensive lesson. Barb, did you have something to say? It looked like you had, you were getting ready to say something. Yeah. First of all, Linda, I can't imagine hiring for endo office. True. Mom. Yeah, I I agree with these guys where sometimes you don't know until you hire them. And, you know, it takes a leap of faith every time you hire someone is you have some faith that you're making the right decision and they're a good fit. And if they're not, then, you know, obviously you find out later. But one of the things that we do when we do hire out of school. So right now we have a dental student that we're hiring for when she graduates this summer. And we did the same thing last year. And we bring those students up and have them sit in our office and watch and observe. And we talk to them and we let them meet our staff. And that alone right there weeds out some things. And, you know, they, they're they going to see how our office is run. And if they already are feeling that pressure, then I think they're going to say something. Adam and I hold a high expectation and standard for our doctors. So we show them numbers regularly and we, you know, track their lots of stats on them. And we sit down monthly with them and we, you know... Our staff know they can come to us if something's not going well. As far as before we hire them, again, it's I think it's hard. It's really hard to know. And a lot of it's by personality. And now we do a survey. Adam and I do when we are going to when we do any kind of interviewing or anything, we send a survey out to them to ask them like where their priorities are. And so we have 10 specific questions. And from those questions, we actually can decide some things on whether we think that person is going to be a good fit for us or not. Um, like we have them rank, you know, from one to 10, what's most important, you know, patient care, um, making money, being an owner, work-life balance, and, you know, a few few other things. And we can sometimes weed people out, I think, that way when we send them this survey ahead of time of the things that we are seeking in a person. Um, so that that's helped us. I would want to watch them take that survey because like if they hover over the how much is money important and they're kind of like, should I say 10 or should I say nine? Because it's really 10. But like, <laughs> I want to see what's going on there. <laughs> Find out when they put money is important around three or four, then we're sitting pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So uh, let's talk a little bit about how quickly you're able to onboard them. I mean, what's your time frame? So between the time you interview them, I'm assuming you check for references because y'all are superstars. I'm not going to even ask about that. Then the time to get them on board. Are we talking like a week, two weeks, three weeks? Uh, it, unless they have to move. Forget about the ones that have to move to come see you. Like, how fast are you getting them in? I plan like a three month process because I want them to, I want to plan my schedule accordingly and have a successful schedule when they start incrementally, you know, increase the appointment times and things like that. So I try to book out in about a three month process so that I have them ready to go. I have the advantage of they're typically in endo school, you know, and they're looking for where to move their whole family. So I typically have a four to six month uh, leeway and have a whole spreadsheet of, you know, because we're also in a lot of PPOs. There's a lot of paperwork. Get them in for a photo shoot to get them ready to go for the website and that type of thing. But I will say the one doctor that the doctors rushed me to onboard was the one we let go. So, I mean, we probably oh. onboarded him in four weeks. So wow. maybe that and was where you like, I told you guys, well, like, let me no, do my I, process. I didn't say it. I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> Barb, what about you? Uh, same thing is it's usually about three to four months that because of, you know, contracting with insurances and they usually have to give a notice if they're coming from somewhere else or school there. The, the dental students were finding, you know, usually about four or five, six months before they graduate. We've already made the decision okay. we're going to hire them. So it gives us time to get staffing in place and get their, you know, talk through their schedule and what that's going to look like. We ask all of our doctors to keep our front office staff notified of how much time they need for procedures. Now, obviously, we have an expectation that we need to see those times shrink as they start. But like when they start, prepping a crown is going to take them like two hours, right? And so, yeah, we have to make sure that we allow for that time so that they're not running behind all day. <laughs> oh, there are days, I mean... What, Linda, you're a former assistant, right? And you, Stacey, like, don't you want to just grab the drill out of their hands and just do it? Like, okay, we can get here faster. Let's go. So <laughs> so I have a question, Linda. You talked about this spreadsheet without, you know, um, going into depth in it. What are some things on that spreadsheet? Because I'm sure I know my audience. They were like, spreadsheet? <laughs> 
Well, I mean, it starts with everything from I need a copy of driver's license and social security, you know, everything for the I-9 all the way through. Are they currently on any other PPOs? Do I need to cancel? And then getting all of the paperwork for their doctor liability. I mean, it's about four pages, to be honest, because we're trying to get it so that day one, it looks like on our website, on our printed material, on our business card, on everything that they were, they're part of, and you can refer okay. your patients to them. And I'm glad to share that with anyone. Oh boy, I'm not putting your email on here because they're gonna, they're gonna find you. They're gonna hunt you down. Um, yeah, if you don't, I mean, as a PDF, I'm happy to upload that. But you know, people don't don't call, don't bugger, don't bugger. She's being very generous. Um, you know, you know how we are as managers. Once we like we create forms all day long, but if someone's created a form, we're like, ooh, form. Like I, I feel like we're like zombies, a scent of of like blood or something. Like somebody says, Ooh, I made a form for that, and everybody just turns and goes, Form, can I have that? Can I have that? Like on the on the forums, you see that all the time. That would be great. Is there one thing that during the onboarding process, is there one thing that you forgot that was like a huge mistake? Any of you? That you were like, oh man, I should have done this sooner. I mean, just thinking back, like when you said taking photo for the website, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. We did do that. We were like, oh, we need to add you like after they got there. <laughs> Mine was probably learned the hard way, right? Because I didn't know anything when I started managing was contracting with insurances, letting them start before they were contracted. We got a, we had a whole pile of mess to clean up after that one when we hired, had somebody start before they were contracted with all of our insurances. That is a big pain. That's one of those things where you're like, you never do that again. So I'm sorry you had to deal with that. Just popping in here to talk about the impact of software on your associate's success. From today's conversation, you picked up that when an associate is an active participant in the business, then that sense of belonging comes along much faster. That feeling of comfort, it's very important in so many ways. Let's look at it from the associate's point of view. When dentists meet a new patient base, they're thinking of a few things. First of all, I'm not the doctor they're used to. How's that gonna go over? Second, what is this software? What is this button? What did they tell me to do again? And then the one thing I hear all the time is, I'm supposed to run what report? They told me in the beginning, but I don't remember. And how am I supposed to read it? Well, that's just a few things that they think of, right? That line of thinking doesn't stop when they get in their car to drive home. In fact, it's amplified when they don't have all the office chatter, the drills and the patient questions flying at them. End of day reports, you know, they take time to go through when you're not used to them. Think of your first time running a day sheet and having to compare it to the schedule. It's very confusing the first couple times you go through it. Your associate can also finish up notes from home. And yes, managers, we still need to make sure that's being done, right? But they can also review cases, explore the clinical options in a no-pressure environment, and really take the time to treatment plan in a more ideal fashion. When you have software on the cloud, this happens a lot easier. No logins, like remote logins. They're going to go ahead and log in directly to the program. One associate told me he'd rather log in from home because his monitor at home was a higher quality. Now that's a whole different conversation, but it's an example of prior prefer provider preference and comfort. Before that even happens, your associate has to be able to navigate that software easily. Let them do that in a comfortable environment. Of course, you're going to train them on it in office, but you know, new associates are nervous enough as it is. Learning a new system is hard enough during a transition, so why not train them on a system like Curve that's intuitive and easy to learn? Successful associate arrangements are a work in progress. Eliminate one area of difficulty by making the technology as user-friendly as possible. The patient is going to require 100% focus, so let's cut that tech learning time down with Curve. You know this doctor will have his or her hands full soon enough when our favorite patient cranky pants walks in the door. Now, let's go back to the show. You said hierarchy earlier, Linda, so that's actually one of the questions I have for you is there is a practice hierarchy, of course, you know, owner, dentist at the top, and you're you're floating up there at the top too, but it's really different when they don't see you at, at that level where you're a partner with the, the dentist. But let's forget about us. Let's talk about the staff. How do you bring them into the office, the team members, and let them know, here's our new associate, but we have to respect them as a new associate. It's a doctor, still a doctor relationship. 
what do you do with that? Have you had any issues in the, that situation, bringing them on board and saying, respect them, like immediately, but you know they haven't been there long enough to get respect. What, how do you do that? From day one, it's communication with the associate as well as the staff on a separate level, setting professional boundaries. For the staff, they know the expectation. They're working here. They know what level is appropriate and what's not and that the associate is an employee like anybody else. On the professional level, when you're hiring the associate, communicating that the same thing, but in return, they have to have a level of authority because they're the, they are a doctor and they need that level you know, of authority. However, they have to have that boundary too. They can't be texting the, the assistants miscellaneous things. There has to be that level understanding you know, across the board that Yes, they're an associate. Yes, they're an employee. However, they have to know that the the friendships and the boundaries and things like that have to come into play. And I think just communicating that from day one with the expectation of your office policies is huge. Oh, it's tough, that relationship, though. Like, you want to be friends with them, like the people you work with, and then there's boundaries. And as experienced managers, we have all been, you know, in that situation where we're like, we can't be everybody's friend. It's It's just not wise. But yeah, new associate coming on board wants everyone to like them. And so there's that 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 inner need for them to be appreciated and like that's tough. That's tough. Very similar to what Stacy said is they're letting them know that if there's an issue they go to our office manager in the office and they can't just say like we've we had an incident this last year where one of our dentists just took time off and their schedule blocked time off in their schedule and didn't tell the office manager. And so like, we didn't know that we were going to take time off. Like the office manager was like, what is this? So we had to sit down with that dentist and be like, look, you have to respect everybody in the office and you can't just block your own time off. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Nobody told me I could do that. That's great. (laughs) Why didn't I do that? (laughs) But then also, again, just like Cece said, making sure they recognize that they are leaders and it makes a difference on how they are. If they just come into work, go sit in their office and they don't talk to the staff, you're not going to have that atmosphere at work. You're not going to have a good culture at work. They have to be a part of the staff. Like our offices that we have where the dentist is very involved with their staff and, you know, as a cheerleader for their staff and everything, those offices are our best offices right now. We have one or two offices where the dentist is not involved as much and they're more quiet and reserved and they don't. And those offices are struggling. You know what I mean? You have to teach them that they are a leader, but at the same time, find that balance of respect that that office manager is also a leader that they need to work hand in hand with. And just to piggyback on that, I I think it always comes down to office culture. And that's where... 110% I put into the office culture and my team, you know, it speaks volumes because we've had, we don't have turnover. We have the same staff here. They've all been together. We've just grown to grow and add more associates. You know, they have to be able to fit into that culture and respect it and understand it. We haven't had a whole lot of problem with that. The staff is very respectful when we bring in a new doctor. We do try to bring him in and train him on the software. So we get the staff with him, with his team, working through that before they ever see patients and try to do some type of social you know, interaction, if possible. It isn't always possible. But I will say my single male doctors that come in, I have to have a little uh, staff meeting before, you know, the the (laughs) girls and go, okay, you know, this is not match.com. So, you know, (laughs) didn't want to set those boundaries and and go from there. But thankfully, we've not had a lot of problem with that. Probably more to Barb's point with the doctor coming in and feeling like they're managing their own team of two and not responsible to the whole group. You know, it's you don't just block out there. That's a whole domino effect of, you know, it affects everyone else. So it's funny to think of having to tell a doctor like to keep it in his pants or keep it in her <laughs> pants, I guess. I don't know nowadays because I definitely have. I had an office where a woman was a woman dentist was harassing the assistant. That was a, that was a fun conversation to have. You know, we kind of laugh about it, but it's it's definitely something when you have a new associate coming out, they don't. They, I mean, to your point, all of your points, they, they may not have been in the workplace. They don't realize that flirting is not flirting when you're in a, a manager or a, a subordinate, you know, position. That's that's tough. You know, has anybody had to directly deal with something like that? Sometimes you have to tell the doctors this isn't a locker room. Yeah, we've had we've had several things where that seemed like no brainers had an uh, associate that would just change in his office door open to go to the gym. I'm like, 
what is okay about that? That was very uncomfortable because the doctors were like, that needs to be you. What? No. no. That's funny. Wow, you guys are frisky in the South. That's what's yeah. going on there. Oh, <laughs> That's interesting, though. You guys mentioned the whole thing, like quiet sitting in the office. Doctors nowadays, used to be they sat in their office and went on dental town, but now they don't. They just sit in a corner and go online <laughs> and go on Facebook, go on whatever. I mean, what do you do when you have a dentist that's constantly got that phone going? Do you Have you had to say, look, phone goes in the lab, phone goes in you know, your locker, whatever. Like we've, we've had to have that conversation with our employees. Like, what do you do when it's the doctor that's the problem? Yeah, I've had to have the same conversation, you know, and again, it's the they're treated the same as any employee in the office, like these are office protocols you have to follow them and set the precedence like we would for anybody else in the office. So yeah, because I mean, they're constantly on the phone, I'm telling you, I mean, all day long on Facebook. (laughs) Yeah, we had a doctor came out that was a gamer. So gaming, I was like, what? This isn't college. So because gaming, like they can't stop. No, they're always on. Right. So if we have an emergency patient, even though there was an opening, I'm in the middle of a game. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. For real. Yeah. (laughs) We're all cracking up like, oh, my gosh. I have a confession. Adam's the one who brought the Xbox in one time for all the doctors to play. So he was guilty of it. (laughs) Were you like, what are you doing? (laughs) This is like a bash to that really fast. (laughs) What about you, Barb? Have you had to pull anybody off their phone and like go all hardcore on them or no? No, we've been lucky that way. We haven't had any disrespect to that side of things more of just like I said before is we just really encourage them to interact with their staff like that's that's it more than anything so just like the clinical skills how many strikes do they get if there's not a fit with the culture do you charge yourself with coaching them to see if it's coachable like once you hire them they, they get on board how how long do you take until you go you know this throw in the towel here like what's coachable what's not the one that didn't work out we had about six months and probably the first three months it, it was fantastic. It was going really well. And then I started getting phone calls from patients. The The clinical skills were there, but it was everything else that encompassed it. The chair side manner, the way that the patients felt, the, the touch was rougher than our other associates are. But looking at the x-rays and looking at, you know, the act dentistry, the dentistry was fantastic, but everything else was not. <laughs> so, so for us by, you know, probably by month, Four and a half month five, I started getting a lot more calls. And once I had about six, you know, patient complaints, that was it. Wow. It speaks to your patient base too, that they called you rather than left you a bad review. Cause nowadays that's the that's the scary part is that they can leave you a bad review, but you know, your patients know you well enough that that's awesome that they at least called you. You know, they knew too that as soon as the, a patient would call, I had two patients that had been patients for a while. They wanted to transfer out. And before anyone transfers, I want to talk to them. I want to know what happened. Is there something that, you know, we can talk about? That's where all my feedback came from. They didn't leave and I moved them, you know, back to our other associate. And but they did. They felt comfortable enough. Thank goodness, you know, and no one did leave a bad review. We were able to talk through it and shift things so that it made them happy and the patient care was there again that they were used to. So let's go into then the pitfalls of percentages, percentage of collections, and percentage of productions. So that was a talking point I had. So the first things first, do you all pay on on collection or pay on production? We do a formula that they get a daily salary, and then we will do on a quarterly basis, um, collection based from production after adjustments. Okay. Okay. Linda, Barb? We do a bi-weekly draw that we've set up with them, and then we settle up at six months and also end of the year and bonus amount on collections. And that percentage is set in the contract. Is that something that specialties do? I don't typically hear that unless it's a specialty. I I think we're pretty special in that type of... Because I've heard of like taking like quarterly settles. That's what I meant by that. And typically in a general dose, you don't see that very often. Barb, what about you? Yeah, we do like an agreed amount for biweekly that is we try to get it as close to what their production would be, you know, their pay would be if they're and at the end of every quarter, we do the reconciling where we calculate their true production minus adjustments and then um, reconcile what we actually pay them to what they should have gotten. Are there times where they come in and they want to get paid on production? What's the wildest ask? 
you've heard numbers was there hasn't been a wild one but i i think that's one of the things that needs to be clarified during the interview process a lot of when we talk about new associates starting or new hires from the school is that they don't understand what to ask for they don't understand how to get paid they don't know percentages <laughs> they don't even really know a daily salary they just don't understand the business part of dentistry. So I find that a lot of the interviews that I have with the students coming out is a lot of training on how to get paid. <laughs> These are your different options. I will show them the direction that we typically go and how we pay in the office. But it's like deer in the headlights. They don't understand the process. Yeah, I agree with Stacey. And sometimes I forget that. I, I forget that they don't understand what adjustments mean sometimes. Or like, to me, it's a simple formula now because we have a spreadsheet that we use that calculates their pay minus all the other things that we pull out. What I'm trying to do now is sit down with them and show them the first few times that, that we do those calculations and, and show those doctors what we do. Because the last thing I want is them to question also whether we're calculating it right. So I also want to show them to show I'm being very open with you on how I'm calculating your pay so that you understand it, so that you feel confident that we're paying you what you're supposed to get paid and that your reports are correct and everything. And it shows them the importance of being involved in their reports and that everything's walked out the right way under their name. You know what I mean? So I like them to see that as well, that they need to have some accountability on what happens on your reports during the day and what your staff walks out in case it gets walked out under another dentist. Now, all of a sudden, guess what? You're not getting that production pay because you didn't check your reports at the end of the day. Um, so making sure they're very involved and not just passive in how they are getting paid. When we get dental students out of school, we do like to give them just a base salary because we know they're going to be slow and we know we're going to lose some money on them initially and that's okay. And then we'll say after six months, you're going to go production. You know, we're going to switch you over to that production pay. So they know at least they can expect something coming out of school to start paying some of their, you know, debts and expenses and things like that. So I, I totally agree. This all happens in the interview process so that you don't get a family moved in and there's some surprises and that type of thing. But we set our draw so high that they actually know that they're going to meet that because we're going to see that they're scheduled. And obviously, we've already identified needs that we know we're going to be able to fill their schedule. You know, we have problems uh, because we're having so many patients backlogged at this location or we're needing somebody else to come in for IV sedation. You know, we try to identify that so early so that we can set that draw so that we know that they can live on that. But we, I actually do go through the collections worksheet to show them exactly you have got to check your day sheet each day make sure the right doctor because there's eight of them and they rotate between these locations make sure that's correct so that we can settle up and make sure that you know you're comfortable with what you're getting paid and that you know you know this on the front end and hopefully there's no surprises we've really been fortunate with that that part of it Having them take accountability for knowing their numbers is huge. Every night we have the associates sign off on their day sheet, making sure they are responsible to go in, make sure that what they did is correct on the ledger. And I have them sign off, you know, at the end of the day for the day sheet so that they have looked at it, they agree with it so that it can be billed out accordingly. Now, all three of you have mentioned that you are making sure that the schedule is booked, that they're, you know, they're, you're planning ahead. It used to be that we would ask, managers would ask, and, and owner doctors would ask the new dentist to do a little bit of marketing for themselves. But I keep hearing offices now that it's unreasonable to expect that because it just doesn't happen. It ends up just uh, frustrating us more than, it, than anything. Do you ask for them to do anything, to put some skin in the game and go out there and meet people? Like, What are your requirements for that to get involved in the community? Um, usually before their start date, part of that three-month kind of process I was talking about. Once we decide to hire someone, then it's about the three months. And when we go through the photos and everything that Linda was talking about, part of that is that we do, we call it referral deliveries. And usually I will go with them. I'll make goodie bags, something usually food related because everything revolves around food. And then we'll go to all of our referrals. I'll have a letter drawn up. I have new referral pads with their name on them. And we go in and I introduce them to the staff and we give the goodies and we kind of do a rotation. And that usually takes a couple of days just for our demographic area here. But um, just so it puts a, a face to the name that they've been hearing. So and then we announce on social media and things like that. I offer for lunch and learns too. 
of if there's a new procedure, one of the associates does a lot with lasers and phrenectomies, you know, for infants. So I put out to all the area, you know, pediatricians, they're more than welcome to come in and do a lunch and learn with them. And that's on them. You know, that's their responsibility to go in and be able to do that. So I'll supply them with everything they need, but that's their time to invest, you know, in themselves. So it's a big part of our discussion, being ended honest. I mean, we are 100% referral based. So it really is important for our current referring doctors to be comfortable with an associate showing up with one of their patients on the on the schedule and having met them and interacted. So being part of the Nashville Dental Society, being part of a, a local study group, and as well as since they work four days out of the five on their day off, especially that first three months, we expect that to be boots on the ground and going to our referring doctors and meeting them. And certainly they've gone to dental school with some of the fresh new dentists that are starting to practice here. So also to try to generate new referrals. So, but it's a big part of, of our interview process for, obviously for a specialty. Um, we surprisingly haven't done this too much, um, except for maybe when we have a smaller office that's growing and it's a very small community, then we'll have our dentists go out and deliver things. But because we're not a referral-based office, I feel like it's more about just the community knowing who they are than other dentists. And, and a lot of times we've just, when we bring that person on, they're already going to be so busy that they start and their schedule's full. And so there's not much that they need to do to go out and market themselves, really. Um, if anything, we'll say, we need you to go up and hang out with the front office and see how they do things and make sure that they understand where those patients are getting into their schedule from and um, and how the flow of the office was. That's smart. I like that. Go hang out at the front office. Make them nervous for a little bit, you know. <laughs> uh, so one other question that I had about that is when you, you're talking about having them run the reports, is there, I mean, is, is that something that they take to or do you have to keep reminding them on that? I know it's personality specific, but in general... You know, do you find that doctors are like, well, yeah, I'll just run them later? Or are they like, ooh, I need to make sure my numbers are right? If they want to get paid, they need to make sure their numbers are right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll run the results so. for them and hand them to them. I think ours get a little bit lazy sometimes and let their, they, they have their assistance check. Um, but I remind them, I say, if I'm not going back to check these. And so you need to make sure that you have them correct. So when do you guys relax? Like, when do you think everything is going to work out and smooth and, you know, nobody's undressing in front of people and you're, <laughs> I call everything's security. Good. It's never going to be that way. So it's job. <laughs> well, is there, is there a time though that you, you kind of just go, okay, I can stop eyeballing them so much or just keeping an eye on things. Like at what point should you be relaxing? So if you, t- if you met somebody at the conference and they said to you, We've had this associate, you know, it's two years in. I think he's going to be all right. Would you be like two years in or would you be like, yeah, that's about right. I mean, what would you what what would your reaction be? I would say after after a year, I think it gives a pretty good following in my mind, just because you've had the opportunity for some large cases. You've had the time, you know, invested with the staff and, you know, the feedback and things like that. You've gone through two cycles of recare, you you know, had a different factors kind of involved where you have time for the feedback if there hasn't been any red flags right off the bat. Um, so for me, after a year, I I could breathe a little easier, I think. In our employment agreement that they sign as an associate, we have 18 months built in solid. After 18 months, we're, we're making, they're making and we're making a decision either way. There is an option in that agreement to extend the associateship in a, a year, but my doctors do not like to keep associates. They like for them to buy in as partners. And I'm not sure that that's a sustainable pattern because what I hear from people coming out of school, especially the more and more people are associated with DSOs, you know, they're not having to buy in as an owner. So, uh, but as of now, that is kind of the setup we have. Have you all lost anybody to DSOs? No. No. Wow. Sorry, Barb, I'll cut you off. You were going to say something. Oh, no, that's okay. Um, I was just going to say, usually by, you know, the first few months, personality-wise, we know whether somebody's going to be a good fit or not. I wish I could say that we have a point where we relax, but we don't. Again, we've got doctors now who've been with us five, six years, 
and we're sitting down with a monthly still going over their numbers and saying, hey, you know, your numbers are kind of going down. Why are they going down? And we look at even crown to filling ratios. We look at their hourly production. We look at, you know, lots of numbers with them because we just, we've found that when we turn our backs and we don't pay attention, even if they're a dentist, they're going to get a little bit lazy. So what do you, what do you see as a good starting out crown to filling ratio versus where you think they should be? That one we're just kind of dabbling with right now. It's a newer, but we've got somebody, their crown to filling ratio and we go by filling surfaces, not fillings, because obviously there are so many different types of fillings. But we had somebody who was on the low end, I think was about seven to somebody on the high end who was like 30 filling surfaces to crown ratios. And so we've had to sit down with him and we, so Adam will go through and look at their cases. So a lot of mentorship and coaching still at this point, because I find that if they don't, if they're not going to be owners or don't want to be owners right now, then they almost need somebody to kind of say, hey, look, like this, this is your numbers. You need to understand what your numbers are. Um, obviously, the the more productive they are, the more they get paid. And so if they want a quote unquote raise, then you need to see where your numbers are coming from. And so, and, and it's doing well. And dentists in general are type A overachieve. And so when you start putting those numbers in front of them, guess what they do? They improve and they get better. And so we found that we just are constantly showing them their numbers. So do you all have advice for an office that's trying to to court an associate, but there are DSOs, you know, that are are also vying for that. And they're coming out with bonuses that are just, you know, it's crazy. So do you guys have any advice for a, a manager or a dentist right now that's listening to this saying, I'm trying to hire, but I keep doing something wrong with that? Do you have any advice? Honestly, I think it comes down to what they want. You know, it's it's two entirely different run practices. You know, we're patient driven. You know, um, I'm not going to knock DSOs at all, but we are we're patient driven and it comes down to patient care for us. It's the numbers will follow. You know, we are a very successful, very successful practices and we continue to grow because we provide the care. We're not number driven. We have our daily goals. We we meet our goals. We, you know, don't get me wrong, but that's not our number one. And I think that's the differentiating factor when you're interviewing someone. If they are all about the numbers and you don't, they don't talk about the patient care at all, you know, maybe they, they're going to go down a different avenue then, you know. So it comes down to that office culture, the dynamic and and the patient care for us. So diplomatic. They're going to go down a different avenue. So diplomatic she is. <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> I agree with that. You know, it's uh, obviously we're a for-profit practice and we want to certainly protect that. But it is not, that is not, ROI is not our talk as much as patient care. And I do think that some of the dentists, because they are coming out with so much debt, especially after they've been to specialty school, uh, we've passed on a couple of people that I really regretted that just said, I just want to stay an associate. And my doctors were like, but we want somebody vested in someone that is going to stay here with us. Obviously, they're creatures of habit, obviously, or they wouldn't be doing root canals, but they really want people to be here and stay. Like I said, I'm not sure that's sustainable, but it, that may be someone's focus. I really don't have the money because I have so much debt or, you know, we're trying, we're moving here, but we're not sure we're going to stay. You know, that I think it just is a combination, but definitely top of the list, what Stacy was saying, it might be culture, maybe. It might be money, you know, their money focus, whatever. Um, I think culture, of course, is a huge one. So again, let when we're hiring someone, having them come into the office and spend time there, and then they can get a feel for what that office is like, they're going to choose that if that's what they desire, Right versus going to a corporate office where that atmosphere is going to be a little bit different. Um, and Adam and I talk about in the, you know, when we interview that we do a lot of community events and we, most of our offices are in small towns. And so making sure they understand that that's, that's what does drive us. I mean, that our Adam and I's first practice is in the town he grew up in. And so making sure we make it clear to them that that means a lot to us to, to care for our patients. So we let them contact our associates outside of what we're saying and say, just talk to them, talk to them about what it's like working with us. And then we've had that happen a few times where they've contacted 
an associate or two of ours and they like what they hear and so they want to come work with us. Is that a trait though coming out? Um, Linda, you touched on it because of the the debt. Uh, is it a trait coming up? They don't want to buy in? They just want to associate? Are you guys seeing that? Okay. Oh, wow. So that was a universal nod for all of you. Okay. Is that So does that change things? Do you feel like that's changing things on how you talk with them? I mean, Linda, obviously you're, you're kind of in a situation where that's not going to be helpful, but but for Stacey and Barb, are you... Is that now what you're thinking? Like, don't worry, you're not worried about buying in or anything like that. You're just happy if they stay as an associate. Yeah, I think it comes down to the overhead for them. You know, they have so much debt when they graduate that that's their number one, you know, concern. They need to figure out how they're going to pay their student loans and live day to day, you know, and I get that. I completely get that. You know, everything else that that goes around that, they need to understand, you know, what they're getting into. We had an associate that is now, um, just at a complete buyout. He's been with us going on three years. The interview process with him took me over a year. He was moving his family here. And, you know, we met numerous times. We'd meet for dinner, then his wife would come, and then we'd go out again. And it's like he'd spend the day. And then we, you know, I showed him the area, you know, when you're bringing on an associate. And it's not just that they can do dentistry and that they're a nice person. There's a lot of things to think about. So he was coming on, he chose us over a DSO because of the culture, because of our office policies. And we just had that conversation before we were sitting down signing papers for the buy-in. And he's like, I, I chose this because of how things are run. Because these policies are in place, it's a well-oiled machine. The staff is happy, you know, and it wasn't that typical buyout where you have someone come in and everyone gets mixed and he brings in his own staff. And, you know, I get that. I get that that happens. And this was a very cordial, open communication for the entire process. I mean, it couldn't have gone better. Having all of those policies in place and things that worked and have been tried and true and proven, you know, that's what sold him on us rather than choosing the DSO. There's something for everyone, you know. Congratulations. I mean, that's a testament, honestly, for them him to say that, you know, he chose you over the DSO just because of how, what a well-oiled, well-run machine. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Barb, they, there's definitely a change where dentists are coming out of school not wanting to own. It makes us a little nervous because I think it gives the DSOs a little bit of a upper hand with us because they're going into the schools and, and they're letting these dentists come out and say, well, you, you don't have to do anything. You just got to show up to work and, you know, get paid. And Adam and I, the reason why we bought seven practices is because we want to sell them all off someday to a private practice dentist who's working for us. Well, we've had dentists come in and, and they, they say they want to own and then they change their mind because they see how hard it is to, to run a practice. Is that going to change? I don't know. But I'm a little nervous for private practice with so many dentists coming out not wanting to own. So I hope we can kind of change that a little bit and Maybe, maybe it becomes more of it's a group practice ownership type thing where they're all owning together and then they have that camaraderie. I think solo private practice ownership is really going down. And I don't know if that's going to last much longer because dentistry is so stressful now and owning a business is very hard. But, but hopefully we can, you know, encourage group practice ownership. And maybe that's why Linda's endodontists, they want, you know, people to buy in so that it can be a group practice instead of a solo practice ownership. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully private practice doesn't go away. That's, that's what I hope. I know. I know. There's some really well-run DSOs, but I, my heart, you know, I grew up in a private practice like, like all of you. So it's like, I don't want that to go away, but it's, it's getting so tough financially. I mean, our, we don't, we just simply don't have the buying power, the economies of scale that they have. And I think it's a shame because the entrepreneurial, I, I can that word word is very hard for me. Um, <laughs> the spirit is really it's something to be admired. I mean, I watch my doctor grow and grow and want to do more and more, and it's really it's admirable. It's inspiring when you can't even conceive of that because you've never been in that setting. I think dentistry as a whole loses that experience. It's it's sad. Linda, maybe your maybe your doctors will change a little bit. Let that happen a little bit. I don't know. I should. I don't. Doesn't seem so. <laughs> well, no. Hard <laughs> when they benefits too. They have a lot more um, flexibility on what they can offer to their employees, the medical coverage and the paid time off and all the little extra things. Um, those DSOs can offer a lot more of those benefits, which is a tough comparison sometimes. I think you're going to see more of the, like you said, the, the group, like behind the umbrella, because, you know, before it was DSO was dental services, right? So it was really just the operations and stuff. And then it morphed into something bigger. 
but I'm seeing a comeback of organizations that are doing nothing but the the business side. Like they're not even touching the clinical. They're just basically saying, hey, join part of this and we'll help you with all of the expenses and all of that. I think if that can take hold, I think we may be able, we may have a fighting chance. And that happened about maybe eight, 10 years ago, and it just wasn't the time. But I think now private dentists, you know, like yourself, Barb, you know, you want to make this work for the associates too. And you, you don't want them to be threatened by the DSOs moving into the area because that's what they're seeing is the competition, unfortunately. So, wow. Okay. So an hour flew as I knew that it would. You guys are super and fantastic. And I'm going to put your practices information on the show notes. Again, don't blow up Linda's email um, <laughs> asking for things. But you you will all be at the conference. And Barbara, are you going to the conference this year? Um, the ADEM conference? Yeah. Yes, I just um, just made the decision and I'm going to take my um, right-hand gal and HR specialist down there with me. So Fantastic. Hi. Good. I can't wait to see you. I see the other ladies, but Barbie, you, when you show up, I'm like, yeah, because I, I, you don't go as often. We're going to go last year. I waited too long and it was already sold out. So this year I've got to be on top of it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's how they get you, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to sell out. Exactly. So, well, good. And I hope that you all can can get together down at the conference too and, and say hello. This conversation was a beautiful thing. I really appreciate the knowledge that you shared. That's about it. Ladies, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good week. And dear listeners, I always appreciate that you spend your time with us. And I appreciate Curve for sponsoring this particular podcast. We're all super busy. So thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.